Well, I want to wish all of you a happy Mother's Day, not because all of you are mothers, because all of you have one. So we want to certainly include that this morning. Uh, You know we don't emphasize that, nor Father's Day, nor Children's Day, nor Grandparents' Day. All of those exist in our calendar on Sundays, um, but we typically don't emphasize them. Uh, and so we want to, uh, but we do want to take the time to recognize that and certainly consider God's instructions to us to honor our fathers and mothers that our days may be long on the earth. At this point, I almost don't want my days to be long on the earth anymore. I'm about ready to go home. But uh, we want to uh, certainly recognize that and praise the Lord for that role and for mothers and challenge you to be godly and hopefully that'll be the in the course of the message as well and i invite you to turn your bible second corinthians chapter four second corinthians chapter four and then i also want you to hold a hand there maybe i should give you the second one first and that is uh in second corinthians or second peter chapter two so we're going to read a uh, portion of chapter 4, and then we're going to go to Second Peter chapter 2. Okay, this is going to be really stretching you, I know, to flip your pages there, but if you've got both, we should be good to go. Second Corinthians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 16 through 18, and then we'll jump over to Second Peter. We'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is our custom. God's Word declares, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And now if you will turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 4 through verse 11. For for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment... And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. 
Well, I'm glad the Archlez got here because the hymns he selected were excellently, providentially chosen for the message this morning. Everything stretching from This World Is Not My Home to Channels Only to Great Is His Faithfulness. And all of these principles are going to come into the message this morning. And I'm doing something that I've often chided other preachers for. In fact, we had a description of them. They were springboard preachers. They would take one passage and uh, barely touch on it and then use it as a springboard into another what they really wanted to preach on. Uh, And I don't think I'm quite that far along that I'm just going to totally ignore this once we get into it. But I do uh, have a message this morning that God's laid on my heart that is tied to this and, of course, is going to be driven by our passage in 2 Peter that we read earlier. And you might be wondering how in the world are we connecting all of this and hopefully there's two or three phrases that you picked out in our Bible readings that you will be able to see that. Last week we looked at the example of Paul who understood his role in the divine plan of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and training the church in it. He understood that his role was not the priority, that it was a state of blessedness to be able to be used of God as a vessel, as simply the container that God would use to carry his truth to people, whether it be the gospel to the lost or the truth to the believers, to the church, that he recognized his role as simply, in his term, an earthen vessel. And we... uh, translated that into our culture. We don't use earthen vessels very much, but we do use cardboard boxes a lot. And we translated that idea of an earthen vessel into our usage of cardboard boxes, that we understand their role, that we do not uh, emphasize it. We see that they are often necessary, but we do not celebrate the box. We celebrate the contents, the treasure that it carries. And so Paul wanted to celebrate the treasure of the excellence of the knowledge of God, of his power, and seeing himself as simply the vessel, the box, that would carry that. And so it was not his intention to glorify himself, and in fact, he was willing to endure many things, anything, that he might relay the message of God's word to others, that he would suffer all things, even death itself, that the grace of God might spread through many, and that many might give thanks for the glory of God shown around them. In the midst of that, we talked about the inability last week, our inability to really associate very strongly with Paul's testimony, that in fact Paul's testimony here is really not something we understand and we cannot associate with. Uh, our ideas, and we went through verses 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, is just foreign to us. 
the idea that we are pressed on every side, that we are perplexed, that we are persecuted, that we are carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, um, that we are delivered to death for Jesus' sake, none of these things are within the context of our experience. They are simply things that we don't have to deal with. And we often look at the secondary aspects that we are going to deal with and we're not going to press on without addressing them. The idea that for us there is no crushing, there's no despair, there's no forsakenness, there's no destruction, um, that there is really ultimately no death. And those are all things that we can rejoice in. Um, but as I shared last week, we tend to look to the things we can rejoice in first with, and neglect the things that we should be enduring. And we are not enduring these things. And we think that the idea that we are not crushed means that we should never be pressed. And, the reason, and we think that because we should never have despair, that therefore we should never be perplexed. That because God's never forsaken us, that somehow we can never be persecuted. You see, we have transferred the idea of the secondary onto the primary. And thought that somehow we should be insulated from ever having to be called upon to endure the primary usage that Paul experienced firsthand, regularly, consistently in his life, and was glad to do so. And I have a whole message that I really want to talk about in terms of the power by which he is able to do so. And that message needs to be preached um, today and next week, um, but today in connection to what our experience really is. Because we cannot associate with Paul in this passage, and I've dealt with that for several weeks in my study life of trying to understand this is not something we can connect to. We simply, it's not our experience. And so I started investigating, considering what character in the Bible, um, in all of the examples that we are given of different characters of the Bible, both New Testament and Old Testament, who among them is someone that we can connect to, someone that we can plug into and that does really fit our experience of the Christian life within this culture for this church. It may not be the experience of the church universal in this age. It may be, and, and maybe that would be up to other cultures to really connect to that and their experience. But in terms of the American and Western experience of Christianity in this day and age, uh, we can't connect to Paul here because we don't suffer any of those things. We may one day, but we don't today. And I certainly have preached in the past and will continue to preach that we need to be prepared in our heart, in our lives, to experience these kinds of things. Uh, and in our, not only in preparing ourselves to steel ourselves against that, but rather to prepare ourselves in our knowledge of God, for that is what really puts the spine in the Christian, is not his own uh, trusting in his faith, but rather trusting in the God of his faith. And therefore, we come to the message that needs to be preached here and its application as we go to Second Peter. And you're already, because we've read Second Peter, know the character that I fell upon. 
the character that I fell upon that is the personification of the modern testimony or struggle of the Christian church in this culture, in this place, at this time, was the character of Lot living in Sodom day by day. And in both passages in 2 Peter and in Corinthians, we have that phrase day by day. And later on, to close the service, we're going to sing the song day by day and with each passing moment. Because day by day, Lot had a kind of persecution. And Peter's going to describe that. He had a, kind, he had a struggle, a, 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 a war going on. And he lost so much to that war. And it's difficult to see him portrayed as a righteous man. In fact, we are at the point of saying, he's, he's, he, how can you even classify him? And yet God's word does so. He was a man of faith. And yet day by day, he was losing a battle, and we see the results of that loss at the end of the story of Lot, where we find him losing his wife, losing all of his possessions, losing his children, his daughters, uh, willing to engage themselves in immorality on a level comparable to Sodom. He lost the battle that day by day warred against his righteousness. And yet, in the midst of that lost battle, he becomes the example that God knows how to deliver the righteous and judge the wicked. Let's jump to Second Peter for just a little time. Then we're going to come back to how did Lot endure? How did Lot do this? Because it's the same process, the same mechanism, the same reliance that Paul needed to endure what he endured for Lot to endure what he had to endure. I'm convinced of it. Because if it's not the same process, then we are in deep jeopardy. For we live where Lot lived. We do not live by the experience of Paul. It is not how we live today. We do not have Judaizers chasing us from place to place. We do not have the government uh, upon us saying we can't do this and we can't do that, imprisoning us and, and having us beaten, having been turned over, and, and we are not experiencing stonings. We are not enduring any of these things. Oh, we can try to manufacture that that's happening, um, but in reality, in your daily life, it's not going on. Let's be honest. But when it comes to Lot, the description that we are given in Peter, I think, is ours. It's who we are. It says there in verse 7 that God had delivered righteous Lot, and then it begins to describe Lot's life. His experience as a man of God in a place of sin. And these are the verbs that we understand. These 
are the experiences we are engaged in daily. Hourly sometimes. And it is from Him that we want to learn. The costs of of these experiences, but also the deliverance from them. Before we do so, let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the opportunity to look again into your word, and we pray for it to touch our lives, and not just softly and tenderly, but, Lord, that you might strike us deeply with the power of your word and its truth. It might shatter our glass house that we are somehow walking uprightly by comparing ourselves to the wickedness around us instead of to your holiness. Lord, we pray that you might do this action for it is inconsequential for men to do it. We pray for your spirit to convict. That we might be responsive to that conviction by faith, believing. Again, as always, we pray that you might guard this time from error, not only in what is being said, but error in what is being heard. It might be your word. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come into the description of Lot and we are amazed at it a little bit, having some knowledge of what went on in Genesis. We don't expect this kind of, of uh, witness about Lot. When we get to Second Peter chapter 2, and the witness was that Lot, it begins in verse 7, was oppressed. He was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. He had chosen this area because it was lush and because he could make a fine living there because it was the land of opportunity. That's why he chose it. He was given a choice between this valley and other places and he looked down there and saw that this was the place a man could succeed. It had all the natural elements in place For him to succeed. And so he chose it. And he chose unwisely. Because he was only thinking of this world. And not one to come. And he was thinking about what this world can provide. Instead of what God can provide. And so he he did make some unwise choices. And yet it is evident that he was not pleased with what he saw around him, that even as he saw it and became pretty powerful and wealthy in this uh, valley of the kings in this region, uh, we find him sitting at the gate of Sodom, uh, which means that he had some authority there, uh, like a city councilman to us or mayor, something along that line. He had, he had gained some, some authority there, uh, some respect by the people to some degree. Uh, who had made himself a judge, it says, who made you a ju- who, you've made yourself a judge over us. But we find here in Peter's account by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the verb that describes 
Lot as he sought, as he sat, I'm sorry, as he sat in the city gate was one of oppression. He was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked around him. He goes on to describe that in a parenthetical statement, which is verse 8. We want to focus in on, it says, that righteous man, and there's no doubt about that. This is a man who loved God and wanted to do right, but he was in the wrong place to do right. He dwelt among them. And we immediately find the issue. The issue was that here we have a righteous man dwelling among the wicked. You might say, Pastor, what do you want us to do? Go out there and form our own society and go, go create our own community and live separate? And obviously God's word doesn't call us to that. Um, very specifically says that yeah, we have to live not of the world. We live in it, but not of it. And this is where we are calling ourselves to today. What is the distinction between in it and of it? And what this verbiage makes very clear is that Lot was right in the middle of it. He had plopped himself down there, his whole family, in the midst of the worst of it. He didn't live outside of Sodom. He didn't live a walk away from it, a day's walk or anywhere. He was well within its city walls and he was there right at the gate. He had plopped himself near and dear to it, and it became his family's culture. And while his heart inside of him, and it says his righteous soul, was vexed, um, what's the term used? Tormented, it says in the New King James. It was tormented. I want you to notice who was tormenting it. We might say, well, it's the wicked people tormenting it. But no, I want you to look at that. That righteous man tormented his righteous soul. Take out the little phrase, dwelling among them, and you find out who the tormentor was. That righteous man tormented his righteous soul from day to day. How? By seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Yes, Lot carries a load of responsibility. Here's a righteous man, a man who knows God, follows Abram out of the land of his fathers, and is blessed in, as, under Abram's blessing, and is holding to the God of Abraham. And, and uh, here's a man who is trusted, and God counts him as a righteous man who has a righteous soul. He has been made righteous by faith in Jehovah. But his decisions and his choices are tormenting that very soul that has been made righteous by faith in God has now been tormented because of what he is putting before his eyes and ears every day, day by day. And brethren, I contend that this is the church today in this land, in this time, in this place. 
that there are individuals in churches, filling churches, well not filling, half-filling churches today, that are righteous in their souls because they've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. They have the imputed righteousness of Christ upon them. They stand in testimony as righteous people. They are believers. But they have made the same choice that Lot made. They have made the same grievous error that he made. And they have cozied up far too closely to the wickedness, and in doing so, they have tormented the righteousness of Christ within them, and here the guiltless live guilty. And it's sad. It it, it makes you weep to consider that here we stand guiltless before God under the blood of Jesus Christ, and yet we walk day by day under a cloud of guilt because of what we see and hear because of where we put ourselves every day, day after day, tormenting the righteousness of Christ in us. We are saints, holy ones, made holy. And by our own choice, expose our souls to wickedness day by day. How? By doing it? No. Look at it. By seeing and hearing lawless deeds. We put it in front of our eyes and in front of our ears and day to day we torment our souls. And this is what God means through Peter by the word oppressed. We're oppressed. Because of the extent of our participation in this world, nearly making us of this world. By what we see and what we hear. This is our experience. That we do not cringe, we do not scream, we do not run away. We do not respond like Joseph in Egypt. We sit and watch and listen and let our righteous souls be oppressed and tormented. We dwell among it. And we are happy to do so. And God says, oh, that we would desire after something better. And Joseph becomes that example that we go in and when confronted with it, we run at any cost, even if it means the cost of my freedom. I run. I lose my job. Yes, but I run. I'm falsely accused, but I have run and I stand with this testimony. But sadly, that is not the condition of the church today, of the Christian community. We have by and large sat in Lot's place. 
and day to day watch and listen to wickedness. And then we wring our hands like Lot did as he lost everything but his soul. We wring our hands as our family doesn't want to be godly anymore. They're not interested in living out righteousness at all because they don't have righteous souls because all we've exposed them to is wickedness and lawlessness because we have chosen to dwell among them and allowed that evil to be the primary influence in their life. And what we have seen and heard in anguish, they have seen and heard with acceptance. This is the state of most Christians in this age, in this place. And yet, verse 9 is our hope. That the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The Lord knows how to do that. And this takes us back to 2 Corinthians. How? How, Pastor, can I move my family and my seat from being at the gates of Sodom to being in a, somewhere closer to Paul? How can it be? How can I get there? And I want you to notice what it took to get Lot out of Sodom. (laughs) God comes by his messengers. And when we invite the messengers of God into our life, and the whole community sees that we entertain the messengers of God, and they want to go to them and do their wickedness against the messengers of God in our life, and pervert that, and we defend them at the cost of maybe even our own Family, there's a thought. Lot was willing to sacrifice his family to defend the messengers of God. And all the word angels mean is messengers. So the messengers of God come and Lot is willing to even let out his own children for the sake of defending the messengers of God. And that was the final straw. The messengers of God come upon Lot, grab him literally by the nap of his neck, and drag him and push him out of Sodom. That while they're trying to pack their things and decide how much they can take with them out of Sodom, the messengers make it very clear there is no time to waste. You must get out now. And brethren, let me share with you that I would like this to be such a message. Say, this is not something to do one day. This is something to do yesterday. We must move ourselves out of Sodom. 
or risk losing everything. And even at this late hour, moving may not be enough to salvage the things we have grown to hold dear to ourselves, even our very families. But our lives are dependent upon it. So the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And there is no indication that Lot engaged himself, himself engaged in any of their evil, but he lost so much to it. And it is evident that his own wife had grown so dear that she couldn't keep her eyes off of it, even though she was warned that it would cost her her life. She sacrificed it because she loved Sodom more than God. And of the righteous there, not ten could be found. And if Abraham had gone so low as two, not two would be found in Sodom. There was one righteous man. And of course, Peter's already given us the other example of Noah, who was the singular individual that God looked upon. And because of his shadow, seven others were delivered. And so only two were delivered out of the shadow of Lot. We must sense the need to be pressed out of Sodom's gate. And while we cannot leave this world yet, our time hasn't come, we must separate ourselves from its sin by a greater distance than has been our custom. And this is the calling of my message today. Is that we make places of righteousness in our life. Places that we can go to to vacation from the evil. That is to vacate the gate and live a place where we see and hear righteousness. And this is what we strive for in our church. That this might be a place where we see and hear righteous things. And brethren, if you count this time as boring and cheap, then I have to ask you, are you of Lot or of Lot's family? That anything can distract us from this time together. That our favorite activity, our family members, our anything else, anything any other commitment, we can easily transplant the commitment to getting away from the evil of this world and coming together in a place where God's word is emphasized, where God's love is expressed, where, where truth and righteousness are elevated, and where we can come in and have a sense of sanctification, and we can have a sense of cleansing, we can have a sense of rightness. And if this isn't something that you long for, all week long and that you cherish, then it is evident why churches are not filled to capacity Sunday after Sunday is because we are not like Lot to look for some righteousness. We are like Lot's family. We are more enamored by Sodom than by righteous 
holy things to see and hear. I marvel as I read the book of Acts and see the church so caught in their faith, so engulfed in it, that they met day after day together. It wasn't just that they didn't want to miss one Sunday. They didn't want to miss a day of gathering with like-minded people. You see, this is not our experience. And throughout the last 50 to 100 years, the church has consistently reduced its requirements in terms of, or should I say, opportunities for the church people to get out of the world and in a place where they can see and hear righteousness of see and hear evil. We've reduced those opportunities. You know why we've reduced those opportunities? Because people, Christian people, have not counted them precious. And so church leaders just shrugged and said, I guess we need to boil it down to one and a half hours a week, and we need to make this a big extravaganza that can entertain them on a level comparable to the world's entertainment. Um, Why? Because we aren't even of the level of Lot. We're more of Lot's family. That we want to sit in the gate and hear and see nothing but wickedness. And we count cheap and unimportant the times to take outside and to hear righteousness and truth and godliness and holiness. Faithfulness is only measured by whether you pique my interest. Instead of, I just want to be among God's people every opportunity that's afforded to me. And shame on the church for offering only three or four of those a week. Three of them today. And then we can't, we didn't cancel prayer, by the way. I think Pastor said that. We canceled prayer meeting. We never cancel prayer, (laughs) just prayer meeting. But I see it. I see it among my peers, my fellow pastors, who are pounding their heads against the wall. figure out ways to get Christians, not the world, but Christians, to be interested in coming into a place where they can see and hear something other than evil. Instead, for many churches, they have brought evil in so that you can still see and hear it from your pew as well as from your couch or your stadium seat, your theater, wherever, your desk at work. So we strive to make this a place where you will not see or hear 
evil. This should be a place that reflects your home. Lot put his home right in Sodom. And for most of us, we've brought Sodom right into our homes. So that our children cannot and do not ever escape it. And we wonder why they do not have any interest in serving God, in reading their Bibles, in listening to truth, in considering and meditating on their Creator and their Savior. And then we wonder why don't they live for God But we still contend, like I'm sure Lot and Abraham still thought, that their family was as righteous as they were. But on the day of judgment, quite the contrary was discovered, wasn't it? And I fear that for many of us, because we've brought Sodom into our homes, that we will be surprised We will be filled with grief to find out that our children are of Sodom, not just in Sodom. Because we have set nothing other than wickedness and lawlessness for them to look at and to hear about. Because going to church multiple times a week is just for weirdos. And to you, I want to say that is absolutely right. Weird people that live not for this world, but for another. Weird people who recognize that this is not my home. I'm just passing through. Weird people that realize that there is a holy, holy, holy God that they must answer to one day. And they are more interested in discovering more about him than about the evil of Sodom. Oh, that we would hunger and thirst after righteousness as the deer. Desires the water brooks. And this takes us back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How do we do it? How do we get ourselves out of Sodom? And I'm convinced that it is the same mechanism that Paul needed to endure what he had to endure. We are here um, in this world, but that does not mean we need to camp within the gates of the wicked. We can move ourselves a distance away, and we have every motivation to do so when we consider what the end result is, which is God's judgment on all this that our generation has started to count dear to itself that God says is wickedness in his sight and evil. And we come to verse 16. Paul did not lose heart. And why? What was the way that he sustained his ministry? 
He says, even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. And you can see the connection, I hope, to Second Peter. Day by day, you have a choice of what you're going to put in front of you. Day by day, Lot tormented himself by putting in front of him every day the wickedness of Sodom. It's what he saw and heard every day. Paul says, instead of that, I can be renewed day by day. I can be refreshed, I can be washed, I can be clean, I can be new every day, day by day. And this is the ultimate choice you have. This is the difference between being in Sodom and being of Sodom. Of being in the vicinity of it. I don't mean in the gates. When I say in the gates or in the walls, it's being of them. You've plopped yourself right in the middle of it, among them. Oh, that Lot would have pitched his tent a mile away even. A couple of miles away. Just enough to separate himself from seeing it day after day. I just have to see it when I have to go out there and buy my groceries or whatever. But not every day. Paul says, I'm going to be renewed day by day. What is it that's renewing him? His inward man. Every day. Well, I want to back up and I want to read a little bit of this passage again for us. And I'm going to emphasize a word that I believe is the key to being renewed day by day for the believer that we can get out of the gates of Sodom even though we can't leave the valley yet. Verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And he goes through and describes all of this working that's going on in his life. And we've inserted the, what Lot was dealing with in his life as more of our experience. We come to verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak knowing that he who has raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. 
or we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yea, we are confident, yes, well, pleased rather be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. We are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciences. Wow. You want to get out of Sodom? Try living all that. It is built upon a foundation of the knowledge of God. What do you know? Do you see how often knowledge came into the equation here? that I have the knowledge of God, that he has given me the light of his knowledge, that we know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we know that there's a judgment to come, that we know that this is temporary and that is eternal, that we have all of this knowledge, that we know that he is holy, holy, holy. Therefore, out of the basis of the knowledge about God and what is real and what lasts and what is right and what is wrong, all this that God's grace has given to us that he has strengthened us in, if we are paying any attention to God's word and really studying it, born out of this knowledge about the faithfulness of God, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about eternity in his presence, about his holiness, born out of the strength and the foundation of our knowledge of him is our faith in Him. And overflowing out of our faith in Him is a walk with Him, a desire after that other place. We no longer want to look back at Sodom. We have our eyes stayed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And brethren, what is frightening is that we're not spending time in God's Word. We're not building a knowledge of Him. We're looking for church to entertain us like the world entertains us. And I will never be drawn into that. For the end of that is to be the children of Lot or the wife of Lot. To be delivered like Lot was delivered. And that's kind of a scary thing to have a messenger of God come up, grab you by the back of your neck, and drag you to where you should be because your heart's supposed to already be there because your, your souls were made righteous by Christ. Why are you living in the gates of Sodom when God is about to destroy it all? Why is this world so appealing? And this messenger comes to you to say, build and strengthen your knowledge of what is real and what lasts and what is eternal and what is true and what is 
godly. Put your faith in that and not in bankers, business and economic, economics and education and all these other things the world says you can rely upon. You have no confidence if you do not have confidence in God Almighty. And what the world tells you to have confidence in is yourself. And there can be no confidence placed there. You're just a cardboard box, remember. The treasure is inside. That we would day by day allow that treasure of the knowledge of God, of the glory of God, of the power of God to renew us day by day. And I'm convinced that if we would simply surrender ourselves to that today, that that knowledge and that faith and that expression of that faith will just put feet upon our lives and get us out of the gates of Sodom. That we'll not even be interested in looking back at it like Lot's wife. That we will want to make God's presence our home and we will make our want to make our homes like his places of peace of righteousness of godliness of purity not of foul speech and wickedness and evil that day by day we could be renewed that while we are in here oppressed by the evil that surrounds us that we make these little vacation spots. And I pray that this is one of your favorite vacation spots right here. To get away from that junk and to get into this beauty. And how I pray that you would make your homes, that I would make my own more and more each day a vacation spot for my children and yours. That this is a place where we can get away from the garbage and not have to look at it anymore, not have to hear it, not in this place, not in my home, not in these surroundings that I control. I can't control what the world puts on their billboards on the highway. I don't have control of that. But I do have control on what is heard and seen in my house and in my church. And I want these to be places of beauty, places of glory, places of godliness, where we rejoice in righteousness and shudder the idea of evil being introduced here. It is by building our knowledge of who God is. It's not about an emotional event. It's about an immovable truth (laughs) that is strengthened day by day in us, that wells up as faith, and that is then expressed by this confident living that I will stand outside the gates and preach against them. 
not sit in there and watch it every day and lose my family in the course of it. Your choice. Day by day, what will you choose? To look and hear wickedness or to be renewed day by day? You have that choice. The testimony of Paul, he endured all the terrible things done to him because he was renewed day by day inside through his knowledge of God and his glory, his power, his future, all of that that he knew and could hold on to, not because Paul had a tremendous willpower or had these high emotional experiences, no, because of what he knew to be true. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to rise again, and I have a home, but that also means I have a judge. We're going to be studying that when we get to chapter 5, but I don't want to disconnect chapter 5 from the power of this renewal day by day. You will leave here today. What will you see at home tonight? Tonight here, you have an opportunity to be renewed again by hearing the word and by gathering with the saints. And I don't understand what is more precious in you than to have that Rare opportunity. It is rare. Do you understand rarity? Rarity means preciousness. Something is rare, it's precious. And being able to do what we do here today is so rare. One hour. This hour and a half. Sorry, hour and a half because I always preach late. Hour and a half out of a week. give you a couple hours tonight. Three and a half hours out of a week. How rare is that? Oh, that we would count it as precious as it is. That I have a chance tonight to come here and be on vacation from the evil and wickedness that's thrown in front of me. I can't avoid it out there. But I can choose to live my life in such a way that it's not in my home Invited in, called, calling it entertainment. And it's something that every chance I get to get away from that gunk and come in and be among God's people, hear, singing His praises, hearing His word taught, praying. <laughs> oh, that would count as precious. Day by day, we need to be in God's Word. I see the value of Acts early church that day by day they met together. Because they didn't want to sit in Sodom's gate and watch evil day after day. Turn your hymn books with me. 144, day by day. Consider your life. Consider your way. Stand with me.